Welcome to the C3 Coffs Harbour podcast. Today's message is a recording from our online service. To join our online church community, visit c3ch.online.church and you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Enjoy the message. So we are starting a brand new series this morning. Um, for those of you we haven't met before, my name is Justin, my wife Anna and I are the pastors here, um, and uh, we just love to make you feel welcome to our church if it's your first time. Uh, we do hope you enjoy yourself. Um, how it works, usually we sing a couple of songs like we did, worship God, we love God, I'm going to share a message that hopefully will encourage and bless you, then afterwards we do one of our favourite things and that's drink coffee. Um, and so afterwards we'd love you to hang around and drink a cup of coffee with us and get to know you a little bit better. Um, before we do that, we're going to jump into a, a passage of Scripture which I love. Um, this passage spoke to me about, oh, I don't know, 15 years ago or so. Um, who remembers, who was with us when we were youth pastors? If you just give a flash of hands, Joey, Maddie, uh, Robin, you were in our youth group ministry. Yep, that's, that's great. Um, Bunch, Benny, yep. So, Hannah, so we... Uh, there's a few. It's great. Thank you for sticking around all these years too. I really, I don't know why, but thank you. I appreciate it. It's amazing. He's still here. Um, but we we ran youth Anna and I for ten years in this church, and uh, and it was amazing. And for probably two thirds of that time, we we called the the youth ministry sublime. Yeah, affectionately called subby because we were like cool. Um, so sublime, the reason we called our youth ministry sublime was because the word sublime did and still does mean inspirational awe. Isn't that beautiful? So we wanted to create a program for young people where they would encounter inspirational awe, where they would come and, and, and hear God's word, encounter worship, and just be inspired in Oh, it was wonderful. And then we, we, after about seven years or so, we sort of felt, oh, we need to sort of shift. Not that we shifted, that's what we wanted, but, you know, for youth ministry back then, it was all about the name and the branding. And uh, it was, it's actually fun to sit back and think about those things. And so we, we shifted the name um, to, to CG, CG, which stood for Chosen Generation. And uh, so that was the title of our youth ministry back then. It was awesome. We go to CG. And, and so we got CG from 1 Peter 2 verse 9. This was our, our little catch cry, catch cry scripture for our youth. And it was, but you are a CG. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So we that was our our heartbeat was man, we're a chosen generation. So it shifted for us about just creating an environment for inspirational awe to help people see their identity in Christ. That you and me, as followers of Jesus, according to what Peter's writing here, we're a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a, a holy nation. We, we are a people for his own possession who are called to proclaim his excellencies because we were translated out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the Christian faith 101. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to, to know who you are and why you are who you are. And that's because of whose we are. We are God's people. 
So, having said that, I haven't put my phone on silent and I just got a message. <laughs> so awkward. I want to start today's message by asking a series of questions. I want you to think about these questions. They are by no means um, just merely philosophical questions. They're not rhetorical questions. They are literal questions that I want everyone in this room with a pulse to ask themselves. And for the sake of order, we're not going to yell those answers out. We're just going to internalise those thoughts and internalise those answers. But have you ever thought about what informs you? Have you ever thought about that? What informs you? What are the primary sources that influence your thinking, your behaviour and your decision making? Have you ever thought about that? Some people go, oh, nothing. I'm, I'm autonomous. I don't, I don't get influenced by anyone. I make my own choices. I live my own life. Nothing influences me. I'm just, I'm so unique. I'm a unicorn. There's no one like me. First of all, cute. Um, second of all, rubbish. <laughs> Nobody is autonomous. Nobody has pure original thought all the time. All of us are influenced by something or someone at some time. And that's what shapes our thinking patterns. But what's important is not that those things exist, but what are those things and do, why do we allow them to shape how we think and shape how we behave and shape how we make decisions. So today, I'm just asking these questions for all of us, myself included, to think about what are the sources that inform us? Have you ever stopped to think about what are the standards that you live by? What are your standards? By which, by which thing do you measure yourself against? How do you know that you're tracking okay? What is the standard by which you measure yourself? What is the standard by which you live your life? Everybody has standards. Some high, some low. Some might have standards, but they don't know what they are because they just exist and float through life. That doesn't mean those standards don't exist. They are there. They're just not identified or articulated. But we all live by standards of varying degrees. So, all these questions. What's the primary source that shapes your thinking, your behaviour, your decision-making? What are the standards with which you live your life? Leads me to this next question. Are those sources that you draw upon that shape how you think, that shape how you make decisions, that shape how you behave, are those things reliable? Are those things helpful for you to live a life that is fruitful and flourishing? It's so quiet in here. I'm assuming it's because you're doing a lot of deep, reflective thought, which is wonderful. I wrote down a few things that I could just think of. Now, I know there's probably hundreds more, but these are just a handful of the big-ticket items that I would see, at least as, as I think about myself, as I think about people in general. These are, are common sources that people would draw from that would frame the way they think. Religion, a big one. Especially when you think globally, like... Religion is a massive influence in how people think. 
If you've ever, ever travelled through Asia and places like that where, where religion is massive, it really has an impact on the psyche of people. It determines their standards, it determines how they live, and things like that. Education. Another one. Probably education is probably the, the secular equivalent of religion. Where people study, they gain information, that information is knowledge which becomes power for them and that informs and shapes the way they think, the way they make decisions and ultimately how they behave. It becomes their standard. Probably the most pervasive and popular is media. If you get your information from Facebook, um, may I suggest you find another source to influence your thinking and influence your life. Not everybody that writes should. Not everybody that writes has your best interest at heart. Not everybody that writes has pure motives. Not everybody that writes knows what they're talking about. But the media today is rife with information that shapes the thinking patterns and behaviours of a whole generation. So that's why it's so important that we think about what we think about. And we think about the sources that influence our mindsets and our worldviews. Other sources are emotions and feelings. I just don't feel like it. And this is probably one of the biggest criti criticisms that I hear of this current generation coming up, is that they, their primary source of uh, decision-making is based on the feelings. Oh, I don't feel like going to work today. Oh, I don't feel like doing what the boss tells me to do. I don't feel like towing the line. Say what you like about that. It's, it is what it is. That's, that's a genuine source that people would draw from to... Um, make the, the thinking patterns. Our upbringing, all of us to certain degrees, whether the positive or negative, are influenced by our upbringing. We can either have a great upbringing and learn good things from it and therefore replicate those things in our life and our thinking patterns, or we could have a great um, upbringing and we rebel against it and create poor patterns. And the same works in reverse. We could have a, have a poor upbringing and learn what not to do and create a great future for ourselves, or we can have a poor upbringing and just do nothing and then the cycle repeats itself over and over again. So our upbringing influences us massively. Um, societal trends, you know, what is happening in the world, again, that's tied in with media as well. Uh, they perpetrate that. Uh, our past experiences, our current realities, both of those things influence and shape how we think. Um, our preferences or our prejudices, our fears, our hurts, our insecurities are internal sources that we draw from that shape these thinking patterns. So, did I hit the nail on the head of any one of those things for you? Could you identify with one or more? Gwenda can. Let's show of hands if there was at least one of those things you go, yeah, that's a source I draw from. Yeah. Hand up if there was three or more sources. Hand up with all, all of them. <laughs> Let's pray. So here's my question. Are, are the sources that you draw from, the way you think when it's just you around and nobody else, how you view the world, how you view people, how you view yourself, those sources that shape that, are they reliable? 
do those sources produce in you a result or, or, or a behavior or, or a worldview or a, or a lifestyle that would bring glory to God, good to other people, and joy to your soul? Like, that's a sobering question. And that's a good test to put in place to see, okay, am I drawing from a good well with healthy, refreshing, life-giving water in it that shapes the way I think? Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And we think because of where we draw information from and influence from. And so let's go back to this list and we'll see. Religion. Does religion bring glory to God, good to others, and joy to my soul? Might sound like it does, but I don't think it does. Who was the biggest person that Jesus picked on in his life? The religious people. Religion doesn't bring good to others. It might sound like it does, but it binds people up. It it, it puts them into a little pigeonhole. Makes them robotic. It doesn't bring joy to my soul because I'm not free as God designed me to be. I'm bound because of what the rules tell me I have to do and can do and can't do. I could go through the list, but do my feelings and my emotions bring glory to God, good to other people, and joy to my soul? Not really, if I was honest. These are the standards that we need to hold ourselves to. Let the things that influence us bring glory to God. Let the things that influence us be good for other people. Let the things that influence us bring joy to our soul. 1 Corinthians 10.23. Paul writes this. All things are lawful. Lawful, not awful. Okay. He's not a pessimist. He's not a pessimist. All things are awful. It's terrible. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Other translations say, everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. Everything's permissible, but not everything's helpful. And I love this because it's, Paul is basically saying, what we know in our heart but we, we can sometimes fail to realise is that, that God loves us so much he gives us free will. That you can build the life you want to live because that's what God says. Everything's permissible. You can, you can think how you want to think. You can behave how you want to behave. You can allow things to shape your thinking and shape your behaviour no matter what. You have permission to do that. You also have permission to follow Jesus in his way. And no matter what we choose, there are consequences, good or bad, for those decisions we make. There is, there is sowing and reaping as a principle that exists around all of creation, whether you follow Jesus or not. So, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. Jesus gives us the free will to make our own choices, but he also gives us the standard for which we can follow or reject him. Now, Paul continues this theme. Right, so that's chapter 10, verse 23 in 1 Corinthians. Now, just a few verses later in chapter 11, verse 1, 
He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What he doesn't say is just imitate me. Whatever I do, do what I do. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So who becomes the standard? Paul or Jesus? See, because Paul wasn't perfect. We might think he is. I mean, the, the guy was absolutely amazing outside of Jesus, arguably the most influential person for the Christian faith ever. Two-thirds of our New Testament are writings of Paul. Our theology is based nine times out of ten on Paul and what he thought and what God revealed to him. He is an absolute beast of the kingdom. But he's not perfect. He would upset people. He was brash and abrasive and he would argue with people. He, would, he could be lash out. So, do we imitate that? Well, Paul did it. Paul was argumentative. Paul was rude to people on occasion. No, no, no. We imitate him as he's imitating Christ. If there comes a fork in the road where, where the, the person we're looking to, the leader we're looking to, is not following Jesus, the leader doesn't become the standard, Jesus becomes the standard. And we don't write that leader off. We just go, okay, he's an imperfect person living in an imperfect world. That's why we have to anchor our faith, our hope, and our mind in the perfect, which is Jesus. He's the standard. So you could follow me as the pastor. Go, okay, well, the pastor said this, I'm going to do this. But if the pastor makes a decision, don't follow that decision if it's against what Jesus taught or showed. Go to a higher standard, which is him. So we can, we can choose whatever life we live, because Paul said that. He said, Whatever's, everything's permissible, do what you want, but not everything's going to be beneficial for you. But hey, here's a standard. Imitate me, follow me as I imitate Christ. Don't follow me as I don't imitate. And that's sort of how cults start, right? Cults, nine times out of ten, they start as like Christian home group gatherings. So if you've got a Christian home group gathering, beware. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> but they, they start off nice and they start off relatively harmless and it seems like following Jesus. And what the leader does is good and it's all about helping other people and praying and, and studying God's word. And then there starts to be little, little tweaks, little behaviors, little, hey, why don't you just, why don't we do this? Or why don't we go over here? And, and these small little things start to appear and the people, rather than see Jesus as the standard, see the leader as the standard. And so they get taken away a little bit by little bit by little bit. And all of a sudden we see these documentaries of this perverse, crazy behavior thinking, who in their right mind would ever be involved in this garbage? But they didn't start like that. They started back here. as just a little whisper, a little slight off-center. But we don't imitate leadership blindly. We imitate leadership as leadership imitates Christ because Christ is the standard. Acts 4.12 There is salvation in no one else for there is no other name upon heaven no, 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 under, no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Right? Jesus, the standard. No other name. John 4.16, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus is the standard for salvation. He's the standard for living. Acts 17.28, in him we live and move and have our being. Here's my one point that I want to be tattooed in your mind forever. 
I want this one point to be the crescendo of this message, to be the crescendo of this whole series that we're about to start today and for the coming weeks ahead. When Jesus, this is a statement by the way, when Jesus becomes the standard, you become a disciple. And until Jesus is the standard, you're not a disciple. Can you say that? Yeah. But let's not focus on the negative. When Jesus becomes the standard, you become a disciple. He has to be. He works all things together for our good. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He has to be the primary source that informs us, that shapes the way we think, the way we behave, and the way we make decisions. If he's not, who is? What is? Your feelings, the media, religion, your education, your circumstance, your situation. If all those things are the primary sources that you shape your thinking, how's that going for you? Like, seriously, like, is that... Are you finding yourself just living your best life or are there areas that just constantly are snapping at your heels, dragging you down? Jesus has to be the standard for us to be disciples. I love what um, Mark Sayers, who's, um, this, this guy is a beast. He's a pastor in Melbourne. He's an author. Um, he probably has his finger on the pulse in regards to... Um, Church in contemporary times more than anybody else I've ever read or heard. The guy just understands current culture, understands church history, and, and has a way to biblically help us navigate the season we're in because it's unparalleled times. Like you look at what's happening in the world, it's just crazy, and it's not compatible with the church. But the church has a place, the church has a voice, the church has a mission. And so Mark Sayers has this beautiful way of just helping people understand that and taking us back to history, seeing how moves of God have come and ebbed and flowed, and then how we can today face post-Christendom in all its glory and still be true to the mission that God gave us in scriptures. And so he, he defines discipleship like this. He says, discipleship is the process of one's renewal. Right? We're all born into a sinful world. We're all born imperfect. We get that. And, and, and so discipleship, or as I put it, when Jesus becomes the standard, we become disciples. And this discipleship, he says, is the process of how we are renewed. You see, there's, there's a myth out there that, that, that people say, well, once you become a Christian, everything is awesome. All the black and white in your life turns to color, as vibrant, as awesome, as amazing. Spiritually, yes, 100%. All of our sins are forgiven. We are made brand new. Our identity has changed from being far from God to close to God. We are rightful heirs in the kingdom of heaven like every other Christian has ever believed before. But that is not the full picture. There's still the flesh we've got to wrestle with. There's still the life we've got to live as a husband, a mother, a, a son, an employee. That process is what they call sanctification, that we become more sanctified. It says already saved, not yet fully experienced the fullness of salvation, which will come when we pass from this life to the next. And so this process is, a, is what sayers would say is renewal. We're being renewed in the image of God. Why is that important? Well, it's important because 
he goes on to say that when renewal goes viral, it's called revival. So when Pete's on a pathway of discipleship and he's being renewed in the image of God, when Donna is being renewed as a disciple, when Matt is being renewed as a disciple, Shah, Olivia, I go around the room, all of a sudden, bang, lights start to come on. Their primary source is Jesus. When Jesus is the standard, you're a disciple. When discipleship happens, you start to be renewed in the image of God. When that starts to happen and people start to get it, that's when revival happens. There's a myth also in the church that revival is when the Holy Spirit bursts open the doors of the church and the world comes flooding in. And we just sit back in a happy, happy Christian club and just enjoy the fruits of somebody else's labor. But that's not really how revival happens. And we all want revival. Like those of us who've encountered the Spirit of God, the presence of God, we want others to encounter that on, on a mass scale. That's revival. But revival happens. Historically, when you study these things out, when the Holy Spirit, who is always hovering over the earth, seeing who is available, seeing who is readying themselves, seeing who is prepared, seeing who are the true disciples that he can pour his Spirit on so that revival can flow through, he sees those who are being renewed, who are being devoted, who are being committed, who are seeking him in prayer, seeking him in worship. Have the revelation it was no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. The Holy Spirit chooses those people and puts his presence in them and they just, they go. So in a sense, that first picture of revival is true, but the outworking is reversed. The Holy Spirit opens the doors of the church so that the disciples can flood out into all the world and make disciples and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. That's how it works, but it starts with us. Because when you look through like church history, you look through these massive revivals, they started with not, not the best speakers, not the most anointed worship leaders, not the, the, the gun leaders who could strategize everything. They started with ordinary people. Very ordinary, unassuming people who just love Jesus, love other people, and, and had their, 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 the hair of their knees rubbed off because they've been in prayer all day, seeking God. That's the ones God chooses. So, for us, over this last 12-month journey and then moving into the future, we're going to be far more intentional about our personal discipleship about looking at what informs us, what shapes us. Why are we the way we are? Why do we behave the things we behave? And, and, and are those things reliable enough for us to live a fruitful and blessed life? And so one way we're going to do that is go straight to the teachings of Jesus. And so we're going to unpack the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. And if we're truly committed to being a disciple, if Jesus is the standard, well, let's hear what he's got to say. Let's study out his teachings. Let's read what he said and let's, let's obey it. I, um, over the last couple of years, I've done a reading plan because sometimes I get into little psychotic moods and I do things crazy, like um, read the Bible in 30 days, cover to cover. I've done that a few times. Pete's done it as well, and a few others have done it. Um, it's just called the shred plan. It's just crazy. It's, it's definitely not devotional. It's not just sit and meditate. It's a totally different form of reading the Bible. But the whole idea of doing that shred 
is just to really get a snapshot of the overview of the Bible. What are some common themes that you can just see and you, as you skim through that, that book, what, what, what things pop out to you? And for me, the, the, the two or three times I've done it, I get the same theme. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. From Old Testament to New Testament, trust and obey. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. And here's how it works. You go, you go, you do the shred yourself. When God's people trusted him, even though it wasn't convenient or comfortable, and obeyed him, even though it might be costly, God's favor poured out on them. God's blessing poured out on them. They were protected, they were provided for, they were blessed, they were looked after, they were given assurance, they were comforted. It's whenever God's people didn't trust and didn't obey, it didn't go well for them. And it's really that simple. The Christian life is that simple. Let's put Jesus as the primary source of the standard of our life and let's trust and obey him. So as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be challenged with a lot of topics that's going to force us to make a choice of are we going to trust Jesus in this area and are we going to obey him in this area or not? It's going to be tough, interesting and fun. But as we mentioned last week, when we choose to live a life where we walk and work alongside Jesus, Matthew 11 teaches us that we live this life of lightly and freely. That's why religion is not a good worldview to have as your primary source because it will bind you up. But a relationship with Jesus always leads to freedom because he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And when we walk with Jesus, when we work with Jesus, he promises that he will take all of our burdens and give us the lightly and freely life that he designed for us originally. That's why it's so important. Let me finish on this scripture. But you're a chosen generation. God chose you. God chose us. You're a royal priesthood. Like, like our dad's the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. You're, we're a holy nation. We're holy. I think one thing the church probably needs to re, regather and, and rediscover is holiness. In contemporary culture what does it mean to be holy we are a people for his own possession we belong to him that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light so a couple of questions for consideration what would be the standards of a chosen generation? What would be the standards that a royal priesthood should live up to? What are the standards of a holy nation? Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our online services, visit c3ch.online.church and come say hi on Facebook and Instagram.